Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And off we go here on a Thursday, uh, November, December, rather, 20. And what do you know? Big surprise to the defense secretary. Big surprise to the Pentagon. Big, su- big surprise to the troops on the, in the field. But Donald Trump declares we have won the war in Syria. It's all over. I guess this is a VS Day, right? Victory in Syria Day. We're going to celebrate from now on. Uh, thank you, Donald, for letting us know. Oh, man, the madness continues. Hello, everybody. What do you say? And, of course, uh, together with that good news is the good news. I guess that there will be no shutdown uh, the Senate passing a bill last night. Lights were on late in the Capitol, and they finally got it done, uh, giving the government enough money to keep running for mm, another five or six weeks, which is uh, the most you can expect from this bunch in Congress, keeping the government up until February 8, so Donald Trump can go down to Mar-a-Lago and play lots of golf without having to worry about the federal government being shut down. The House has to pass that today, uh, and then the president has to sign it. It will happen. There will be no shutdown. Big change from last week when the president vowed to shut down the government and be proud of it and take credit for it, and a big political victory for Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, who stood up to Donald Trump in the Oval Office meeting and backed him down. Oh, so much to talk about. So much you want to comment on, do so. Please send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. All right, get ready to go, but first... 
This is the Full Court Press. Yes. All righty. Just a couple of other stories making news. Let's go to London, Bill. At uh, Gat- I'd love to. At Gatwick Airport last night, lots of flyers were really, really bummed out. Tens, and th- tens of thousands of passengers were left in oh. Gatwick Airport with the airport closed. No flights going on. Why? Because two drones were spotted near the airfield. Mm. So they shut down all air traffic in the area last night. Now, they opened the airport not long after, but then they had to shut it down again 45 minutes later because the drones were spotted again. Oh, boy, would I be pissed off. I cannot even imagine how mad you would be. This oh, is yeah. a this is a thing, right? You can't fly them over a certain height because you don't want to interfere with Idiots. airplanes, and you can't fly drones near close an airport. to airports because it's a very serious danger to the planes that are taking off and landing. Uh, like I said, hundreds of flights were canceled, tens of thousands of passengers were affected. A lot of them, they didn't, you know, in the brief period that they reopened, their flights didn't take off, so they were just stuck there. They were just stuck oh, there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Not good. Not good. This is pretty interesting. Uh, Yesterday, a deal was announced where Cuban baseball players are allowed to play in the MLB, Major League Baseball, without actually defecting here to America. Now, Barack Obama did a lot of good to ease the tensions between the United States and Cuba, but this is something that he uh, he never did. So now eligible players from Cuba can now join Major League Baseball teams without actually defecting from Cuba. Uh, Major League Baseball has a similar agreement like this with a couple of different Asian leagues, uh, some of them that play in Asia that play here in Major League Baseball uh, during the season. Uh, They don't have to become citizens here to do it. So this is a deal that they worked out with Cuba to allow the same thing. Good, good. Progress? No, I like that. Yeah. I mean, look, there are a lot of Cuban baseball players who would like to play in Major League Baseball. I know. I mean, American baseball is big in Cuba. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. So we'll 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 see how this works out. I'm not sure how Donald Trump feels about it. I'm sure he'll probably tweet about it, you know, because he was he's cracked down on the Cuba stuff so much. Uh, yeah, he's also busy tweeting about Syria this morning. Also and, that, uh, uh, and of course Robert Mueller. And, yeah, and the witch hunt. <laughs> Maybe and, it's off of his radar. Yeah. <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, a little bit of good news and the war on the year on rather. <laughs> the wall is dead. There ain't gonna be no wall. Mexico's not gonna have to pay for it, and neither will American taxpayers. Uh, that's the result of the big vote in the Senate yesterday, which we'll tell you more about here. Today on the Bill Press Show, hello, 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 so good to see you on this uh, Thursday, December 20, getting close to the vacation, to the big Christmas holiday. Uh, By the way, I heard yesterday that one-third, I forget how many millions of Americans that is, but one-third of this country, of the people in this country, will be traveling over the Christmas holidays, not all by planes, planes and trains and buses and cars, one-third. Hitchhiking some people? I don't know. 
one-third of Americans. That is huge. Just look at the map of the country, and you see all this motion going on, all these people moving around. Uh, I will be on the road as well, uh, starting a little bit later today. So uh, I know I'm guilty as charged. So good to see you today, and uh, thank you for a great year. Uh, and look forward to um, having a wonderful holiday, and I hope you do too with all your friends and family. Uh, can I, meanwhile, yes. Can I just point out really quickly because you know we're we should just let everybody know you're going to be out next week. Yeah, we're going to be right. off the air. Yeah, next that's week. good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but we have a lot of really cool content that we've been working on for the last several weeks uh, that you can still get if you're subscribed to the podcast or you're following us at YouTube, YouTube.com/slash The Bill Press Show every single day. Uh, next week. And we'll be on the air. We're going to be on the air. We're going to have new stuff for you to listen yeah, to, yeah. Uh, some year-end right. stuff, some uh, Congress stuff, some White House reporters. We we did our, our holiday beer segment that we always love. Uh, no, so- that, I'm glad you mentioned it because this is not just retreads, leftover, best of stuff. This no, is all new, all new stuff, stuff, particularly thanks to Peter. Uh, I did some of it myself. <laughs> uh, that uh, new new content. Uh, which we've which we put together for the holidays. So there's special holiday shows every day. Yeah, if you think you're going to may not get, be live, but it's going to be new stuff yep. every day. If you think you're going to get you know a show from two weeks ago that's old no. news, it's or not going to be six the case. months ago. No, it's going no. to be it's going yeah. to be all new stuff. Uh, if you're traveling, just make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. That way you can mm-hmm. get it every single day when we put it out. BillPressShow.com. Yep, so BillPressShow.com. Or if you have Apple Podcasts or you use that or whatever, just get it there. Yeah. Uh, but you're you're right. BillPressShow.com is a great resource. But get it, check it out every day. We got new stuff. Right. Uh, and so that will keep you uh, occupied and busy. And uh, we'll be thinking of you and you think of us during the holidays. And we'll all be back live on January 2nd. And uh, uh, by the way, live show tomorrow morning, too. Um, Chris Liu is going to be here. Oh, Chris Liu. Yeah, oh, he's going to be hosting great. tomorrow. Okay. I'll be here. Ray will be here. Cyprian will be here. You'll be I'm sorry. I'll be uh, in Bend, Oregon uh, by that time uh, tomorrow morning. Yes, indeed. So, um, boy, lots and lots to talk about again. And we join you online, YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. We join you on television on the one and only Free Speech TV, and we join you on the radio statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks. And WCPT, we love you, Chicago, and all about Chicago. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us today. It was a, uh, boy, uh, what a bombshell yesterday. Suddenly, with no advance notice, and apparently no consultation with the Pentagon or with the Defense Secretary, Donald Trump walked out into the Rose Guard and put up a little video on Twitter saying, the war in Syria is over. We won. Here he is. We won. We've been fighting for a long time in Syria. I've been president for almost two years, and we've really stepped it up. And we have won against ISIS. And we're so glad that the troops, he says, so glad, are coming home. Our boys, our young women, our men, they're all coming back, and they're coming back now. We won, and that's the way we want it, and that's the way they want it. Now, a lot of people, including (laughs) uh, generals at the Pentagon, said, wait, wait, we won? (laughs) What? We won? Uh, So, in fact, uh, last week, just last week, the State Department, by the way, last week, 
uh, our troops conducted over 200 airstrikes in Syria against the remaining ISIS targets. Um, that doesn't look like a war that's over yet. Last week, the State Department said that we were going to be in Syria until everything has settled down over there, until the entire country was secure. The State Department said we were going to be in Syria until we had trained some 35 to 40,000 local troops, and we were 20% there. So we had a long time to go before we're getting out of Syria. Again, uh, <laughs> nobody seemed to know except Donald Trump, and he didn't decide until like yesterday morning, apparently, without consulting the Pentagon, without consulting the generals in on the ground in Syria or anywhere else in the world, and did not consult any of the Republicans in Congress who are normally his allies. Lindsey Graham is pissed because I guess he didn't call Lindsey first. To say they're defeated is an overstatement and is fake news. Ha! It Boy. is not true. Boy, if you want to hurt Donald Trump, you accuse him of fake news. Oh, yeah. Donald Trump says, I mean, Lindsey Graham, I've been calling everybody. I can't find anybody who agrees with Trump. I have yet to find one person in the administration, the national security team, that thinks this decision was a good decision. Senator Marco Rubio, Republican, Florida. Also, bad idea. ISIS is not defeated. They're most certainly degraded. <laughs> ISIS is already converting into an insurgency. The, and now they're going to become an even more powerful one. Oh, yeah, God. You know, Marco Rubio just, he just doesn't have it. But anyhow, uh, <laughs> there he is. I think on the right side of this issue. Look, the fact is, uh, and I was uh, on uh, NPR, the program NPR, uh, here and now yesterday. Great program, by the way. Um, and my comment was a serious been a disaster. It was a disaster for Barack Obama, let's face it. Um, this was a war Barack Obama started. Uh, this was a war Barack Obama started for the purpose of ousting Bashar al-Assad. Um, I was in the White House day after day where the press secretary told us that there was, it, it, there was no way, there was no solution to Syria, no way we would disengage from Syria as long as Bashar al-Assad was in power. He had to go. He was a criminal. By the way, it's true. But he had to go, and we would be there until he left. So it was a disaster for Barack Obama. Uh, and, of course, ISIS, it became a three-way war, if you will, uh, between us and, and Syria and the civil war and ISIS, us versus ISIS, and Bashar al-Assad versus ISIS. So really got even worse the more we stayed there. Uh, disaster for Barack Obama and a disaster for Donald Trump. I mean, if he really, because, okay, we're pulling out. Uh, the orders that uh, the president gave yesterday, uh, 2,000 troops in Syria have to be out in 30 days. We're leaving Bashar al-Assad in power. We are leaving the Russian government as an active player with troops in Syria, helping Bashar al-Assad, even with the use of chemical weapons, and we are leaving ISIS in Syria. Not as big as they used to be, not covering as much territory, but as both Lindsey Graham and Marco Rubio said, and every other Republican senator that I could see, except Rand Paul, uh, they uh, were leaving, uh, that, that I, were leaving ISIS there in a weakened form, but still anybody who thinks ISIS is dead or ISIS is gone is just really kidding themselves. 
Uh, they're just regrouping the way they always have. Uh, so uh, Donald Trump can declare victory. Uh, not many people believe him. Uh, well, I'll tell you another area where uh, the White House can't declare victory, and that is in getting money for its wall. Uh, Democrats held tight. Good for Chuck Schumer. Good for Nancy Pelosi. The rest of the Democrats, they did not cave in on this one. And Mitch McConnell yesterday was forced to back up. He didn't want to shut down, by the way, either. Uh, it was only Donald Trump who wanted to shut down, not congressional Republicans. Um, and finally, I guess somebody has convinced Donald Trump that he's not going to get that $5 billion. No way, no how. So Mitch McConnell put through the Senate last night, uh, late last night, a bill that would extend the government through February 8th. Has to pass the House and will be voted on on the House What's today? Thursday. Today. They came back last night. Haven't been around much. Uh, They're going to vote on it today. Then the president has to sign it. The House will approve it. The president will sign it. There will be no government shutdown. But more importantly, think about what this means for Donald Trump. This means the wall is dead. The wall is Nobody's saying this. Nobody's talking about it. The real meaning here is the wall is dead. House, the House, Democrats now control the House. There is no way. No way they will give any money for a physical wall on the border. So Donald Trump's big promise is gone. I loved yesterday that Kellyanne Conway came out yesterday and said, oh, no, we're looking for other ways and we'll find other ways, but this does not mean we're backing down. The hell it doesn't. It's 180 degrees from what Donald Trump was saying just a week ago in the Oval Office. We saw that. We heard that tape over and over again. We saw the video because he kept the cameras rolling where he insisted he was going to shut down the government, nobody could stop him, and he was going to be proud of it, and he was going to brag about it, and it was going to be the Trump shutdown. And this week, with his tail between his legs, he's going to sign that bill. You know, yesterday we... we the had wall to, is dead! We had to do something uncharacteristic of the show. We had to give Donald Trump a little bit of credit. We gave him credit because he uh, mm-hmm. took some steps to get some criminal justice reform done and banned bump stocks. Well, today we're going to do something also very uncharacteristic. I'm going to give Chuck Schumer a lot of credit. Which, if you listen to the show, you know, I, I cannot stand Chuck Schumer. But you and I both have problems with uh, Chuck Schumer. Yes, I think but in this case, he has Nancy shown Pelosi some real leadership. played this Ab- absolutely perfectly. Totally, yeah. And I'm not used to saying that about Democrats. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, they did. And they, they went in that, uh, in that Oval Office meeting. They had their, they had their position. They, held, they stuck to it. And they didn't back down at all. And a week later, here it is, Donald Trump backing down. What was their goal? To not do, to not fund the wall, to not go through this whole charade of funding the wall, and also to uh, not get any sort of blame if the government were to shut down. Well, they didn't have to fight too hard for that. Donald Trump offered it up almost immediately. He wanted the shutdown. He it would have been his shutdown, and they they knew exactly what to do with him. It really does prove that, uh, despite all his bluster, if you stand up to Donald Trump, yeah. It's not that hard. Yeah, right. Exactly. Which is, by the way, a lesson that Republicans should have learned a long time ago. Instead, they're afraid. By the way, I want to go back. Uh, there are a couple of things we we talked about yesterday that that really deserve a little a little bit more um, attention. And and Peter, you just mentioned one of them. The more I looked into it yesterday, this first step bill that was passed by uh, by by Congress is so important, and it's such a great story. I mean, so, and, and let's give some kudos here to, to Dick Durbin, who started this whole process 
five years ago uh, under Barack Obama. And he got Senator Grassley, chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee. So from the beginning, it was a Democrat and top Democrat, top Republican who were sponsoring this legislation, which included both prison reforms and sentencing reforms. And they, were, they, they got that bill through the House last year, I mean, in 2015, I'm sorry, um, first time around. And Mitch McConnell refused to allow a vote on it. But they didn't go away, and they put together this incredible coalition. They didn't go away. They came back, this, this, this Congress, with another bill called now the First Step Bill, weaker than the original bill, but still a damn good bill, with 34 co-sponsors, 17 Republicans and 17 Democrats. It's amazing. This bill, they got the, spot, they got the ACLU and the Koch brothers to sponsor it. They got the American Conservative Union and the Center for American Progress to sponsor it. I mean, how could you not vote for this bill? Mitch McConnell started out by saying, no, we don't have time for this bill. This is a silly thing, sentence and reform, prison reform. Don't have time. And uh, and then Donald Trump got on board, supported the legislation, and assigned Jared Kushner, dispatched him to the Hill, little Jared, to twist some Republican arms, which they did successfully, to the point that they forced Mitch McConnell to schedule a vote on it, and it passed in the Senate 87 to 12. Now, it too has to pass the House, which it will, and Trump will sign it. He's already said he will sign it. But then Mitch McConnell, talk about standing up to Mitch McConnell, which they did. He had to back down. He scheduled a vote. He not only scheduled the vote, he ended up voting for the bill. But what this means is that all of those, remember when Hillary Clinton got burned during the campaign because people start, came up, the Black Lives Matter movement for, surfaced at that time uh, reminding her about the Bill Clinton crime bill of 1994 and how much damage it had done, particularly in the African-American community, with these maximum minimum sentences and these three strikes you're out and this disparity between crack cocaine and powder cocaine. Well, all of that disappears, or at least is vastly reduced, in this uh, new legislation. It gives judges all kinds of authority to, to go around the maximum minimum rules, to go around the three strikes and you're out rules and reduces the maximum prison time you could get under that. It says that if you are already in prison, you can retroactively for uh, crack cocaine and have a longer sentence than you would have had if you were a drug dealer on powder, powder cocaine, for example. You're a kid in the street using crack cocaine. You can get life in prison, a dealer dealing in powder cocaine can get, you know, five years or something. Now those people in prison can go retroactively go back and contest their sentence and demand a better sentence under the new rules. That, it's incredible what that means, again, particularly for young African-American men who have, who have been locked behind bars for most of their lives, people who could really be productive members of the community. And in terms of prison reforms, it puts in place training, tra job training, and classes and other programs that states states have used in state prisons successfully to prepare people for re-entry into the community and to reduce the rates of recidivism. It is a major, major public policy triumph, and it happened here right at the end of the year, but it's gone on for five years. And again, Dick Durbin, Chuck Grassley, and yes, 
Donald Trump and Jared Kushner, anybody involved. Cory Booker was involved in this too. Kamala Harris uh, get get a lot of credits. And 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 the lesson to me overall, I think, is that again, uh, this was a Democratic plan started by Democrats. Donald Trump climbed on board, and I think I would hope that he would see the lesson that if he's willing to work together with congressional Democrats and Democratic leaders like Dick Durbin and Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi on a lot of issues, not just this one, but on a lot of issues, on drug price, prescription drug prices, on infrastructure, on immigration, on health care, by working with congressional Democrats, uh, Donald Trump can get a hell of a lot more done than waging some stupid Twitter war which he does against them, which he does almost every day. So very, very powerful message. Uh, almost a Christmas miracle that this bill was passed, and we can all, uh, we can all salute it. Um, the other, the other uh, uh, item we mentioned briefly yesterday is the agreement by the Trump family to dissolve their Trump charity. What a phony operation this was. It Again, it didn't have any Donald Trump's money, own money in it. He was getting money from friends and business associates and putting it into his charity and then spending it under the guise of charitable contributions for really phony baloney stuff to do nothing but prop up Donald Trump. I saw it's uh, The Week publication uh, called The Week, uh, which listed the top six questionable uh, expenditures by the, or contributions, if you will, uh, by the Trump charity. Um, they include a, a $12,000 for an autographed Tim Tebow helmet. Yay! <laughs> yes. That's my favorite one. Right. Okay. Uh, it includes <laughs> a $264,000 expenditure to repair the fountain in front of the Plaza Hotel across the street from the Central Park. It was nothing but to improve Donald Trump's property. It, it was given as a guise to the Central Park Conservancy. I know the Plaza Hotel well, been in and out of it many times. I walked by it last week. Yeah, it's not in the in Central Park. It's across the street, and this Donald Trump was before he sold it. Um, other expenditures include um, $25,000, yes, to the woman who was running for attorney general in Florida, Um Get her name right now, but Pam anyway. Bondi, I think. Get, uh, Bondi, thank you. Yeah. That's it. But a political contribution, twenty-five thousand dollars to her campaign, hardly a charitable contribution. Uh, Twenty thousand dollars to buy a big portrait of guess who? <laughs> uh-huh. L'etat c'est moi, Donald Trump. <laughs> How are you going to find someone to do a twenty thousand dollar portrait? Donald, Donald Trump. What is Twitter that, fingers, black velvet. Twitter fingers, Trump. Yeah, yeah. probably was. <laughs> there he is. And um, my favorite, my favorite is um, that <laughs> he made a big contribution to the Boy Scouts of America. Oh yeah, the Donald Trump Family Foundation, the Donald J. Trump Family Foundation, made a contribution to the Boy Scouts of America of seven dollars. <laughs> yes, seven dollars. What a humanitarian! And by the way, Baron, little son Baron, was eleven at the time. And the price of the dues for Boy Scouts at the time was seven dollars. <laughs> <laughs> can't even pay that what out of pocket. He couldn't even pay seven dollars for his. And then, by the way, Donald Trump says, "Oh, this is unfair. They're not pointing all the criticism at the charity." He put out tweets saying, 
this is unfair. Nobody's giving me the, the credit that I ran this foundation and never took a fee for all the work. What, you, what do you mean? If you put money on a foundation, you don't pay yourself a fee for writing checks from the foundation. I mean, the, the idea that he would expect to get a fee and, and give himself credit for not taking a fee. That's pretty shameless. Okay. Well, there he is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? we, we know this about I him. Expect. Yeah, you're right. Uh, it it was um, there's some bad news out of Illinois yesterday. Just just showing the extent of the the, the how the Catholic Church has not been able to get on top of the um, problems with sexual predator priests. Um, the in Illinois, we saw uh, a couple of weeks ago the Catholic Church in Illinois uh, identified. 185 priests in six dioceses out of the seven dioceses in Illinois who had been guilty of um, sexual abuse, particularly toward uh, young children, young boys. Uh, and the But the Attorney General, 185, that's already shocking. The Attorney General of Illinois, Lisa Madigan, yesterday, uh, the state has done its own report, and uh, she uh, announced, she reported that actually... Uh, it wasn't just 185. On top of the 185, there were 500, 500 more priests in Illinois who were guilty of sexual abuse uh, and had been either allowed to stay on the job or transferred to another parish by bishops uh, in that um, in that in that state. Uh, and speaking of bishops, also piling on, if you will, uh, out in Los Angeles. Um, a bishop resigned 13 years after the church learned of his claim, the church finally taking action in that case. He was an auxiliary bishop of Los Angeles, um, Monsignor Alexander Salazar, um, resigning following an allegation of sexual misconduct with a child back in the 1990s, and the Vatican accepted his resignation again 13 years later. What the hell took so long? Um, one final note, you know, we didn't mention, I don't know how this escaped us yesterday, Peter, but you know, December 19 was a big anniversary. Oh yeah. It was the 20th anniversary of the impeachment of Bill Clinton. Wow. 20 years ago. Holy cow. Uh, and I'll never forget that day because this is the season. There was a holiday party at the white house. Uh, Carol and I were invited and I, He's impeached. And I thought, um, boy, no way I'm going to go to that party. I mean, that's going to be a freaking morgue, right? You know, like a wake, right? And then the, then I thought about the morgue. I thought, I thought, no, damn yeah. it. I want to be there. You have to go. He's my friend, yeah, right? You have I want to, to stand up for him. And this was outrageous what they did. Yeah. So I went. And I got to tell you, it was like a celebration. And that <laughs> afternoon, if you recall, after the impeachment vote, Dick Gephardt, who was then Democratic leader, took a whole a couple of busloads of members of Congress, Democratic members, down there, and they and to show support for the president. They did a big press conference outside on the South Lawn of the White House with all these members of Congress and President Clinton saying, "This is outrageous. We're still behind you," you know. And um, that, so it was that. And then there was this party. And when I had a chance to say, uh, I'll never forget it, just to say uh, to talk to the president. That night, I, I said, Mr. President, it's just, I'm just so sorry about what happened today. 
But I got to tell you that uh, with the Democrats coming down here from Congress and for this party tonight, um, and the polls show that American people, so I said, you know, um, I th- I still think you came out all right. And and he looked at me and he smiled and he thought for a minute and he said, yeah, you know, all in all, I had a pretty good day. Oh, my God. I couldn't, and I walked away from there just thinking, wait a minute. Bill Clinton was just impeached by the Congress and he just told me, all in all, he had a pretty good day. That's uh, remarkable. Absolutely. I'll never forget that. Uh, and by the way, I think there is a lesson to be learned there for Donald Trump, too, which is on this 20th anniversary of Bill Clinton's impeachment. Mr. President, this should show you that, A, impeachment can happen, and B, Congress can impeach a president for the damnedest things. So watch out. Hey, let's dive right into it now. Uh, we are very pleased to welcome back to the show Great congressman from California, Democratic Congressman Raul Ruiz from the 36th Congressional District, joining us next year on the Bill Press Show. A little bit later, Jordan Fabian covers the White House for the Hill. He'll be along as well. So let's take a quick break. Back with uh, Congressman Ruiz from California. This is the Bill Press Show. And on a Thursday, December 20, welcome back, friends. It is the Bill Press Show, booming out to you live from our nation's capital and our studio on Capitol Hill, where we're brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters, those great men and women of our firefighting departments all across the land. They're on the front lines protecting American families every day. We count on them, and they never let us down under the leadership of President Harold Schaitberger. Check out their website at IAFF.org. And you see those trucks are rolling by uh, on their way to uh, help some family in distress. Just give them a shout out and a little wave uh, for all the great work that they do. Uh, and join me in welcoming uh, a good friend back to the studio um, from California and just back fresh from a visit to the border, Congressman Raul Ruiz from California's 36th Congressional District. Congressman, you're looking good. It's good to see you. Thank you. It's good to see you, too. Uh, as always, uh, we want to, before we jump into new things, uh, we've been at it for about a half an hour, um, and we always stir up a little dust, Congressman. You know, that's what we're here for. Uh, Peter, bring yes, us up indeed. to date. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Just a couple of comments. Remember, we're on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh, just wanna, we, we got a lot of comments yesterday because we said that Donald Trump actually did a couple of good things. The bump stocks... Uh, and the criminal justice reform. I just want to say, as we said, you know, even a blind pig can yeah. find a truffle once in a while. I, I, right? I just <laughs> wanted to say we're not we're not in the business of praising Donald Trump. No, Some people got but, mad at us, but like, come on, yeah. Every now and then, uh, it's it's okay to point out that he did something good. He did do something good. All right, let's talk about uh, some stuff from this morning. Phil says, because we talked about how next week we're going to be, uh, we're not yes. going to be here, yeah. but we've got a lot of other content. Original programming. Original right. stuff, new stuff. Uh, Phil says, to be fair, stuff from six months ago may feel new because so much crap has happened since then <laughs> that it's hard to remember what happened back then. You know, Good look, point. <laughs> a lot of the stuff we did was sort of like a retrospective, uh, right? We talked yeah. about like the year in White House news and the year in Congress and there's a lot that we've forgotten about. There's just a lot mm. that we've forgotten about. Uh, also, you talked about the Trump Foundation, including the $7 fee that was paid to the Boy Scouts. That's my, a big, big charitable contribution. Oh, yeah. Uh, my man Romaine says, Bill, you might have gotten that wrong. Check it out. 
that $7 fee might have been for Don Jr. to join the Boy Scouts. (laughs) (laughs) Not Baron. Not Baron. Not Baron. All right. If you all have a comment on any topic at any time, find us on Twitter at BP Show. All right. Thank you, Peter. Yeah, uh, our listeners and viewers, they always surprise <laughs> us with their comments. <laughs> Congressman, you're just back from the border, and we talked last week about this this tragic case of the young seven-year-old girl who uh, passed away coming across and, and the way that was handled. What did You went down there to look into it. What did you find? Well, we found a lot of inconsistencies in what, uh, in what occurred and what was said, and we also found that uh, the... Uh, uh, Customs Border Patrols do not have any specifically defined standards of care for uh, non-criminal asylum seekers uh, who are coming over for humanitarian needs. Uh, They are woefully understaffed with uh, the appropriate uh, skills. They are woefully under-equipped. They do not have the infrastructure in their locations nor the communication infrastructure that's needed to handle emergencies. To deal with a situation like this, right? they don't. Back us up. She came with her father from? Um, From Guatemala. Mm -hmm. They were asylum seekers. Um, uh, It is unclear whether they tried to go to the port of entry first in El Paso and were uh, delayed or blocked or what, and therefore they wanted to go to uh, through another route. Um, in our uh, law, we allow asylum seekers to cross our border at any location and then declare themselves asylum seekers to get care. Uh, they were taken by bus all the way to the border, and they just walked over, and it was just maybe a couple-hour walk to mm-hmm. where the port of entry was. Contrary to the image that uh, they're putting out there, that it was a four-day trek. Yeah. Uh, uh, she was given water and food beforehand. Uh, yeah, which we were told just the that, opposite. Yeah, that the father withheld water food, which is absolutely not true. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and afterwards, the father... Uh, after understanding m- more the questions, uh, it revealed according to some reports that, and to the lawyers, that uh, she was sick prior to arrival mm-hmm. with some vomiting, which makes sense. Um, and uh, and so the, the the story we're getting right, uh, and the message they're putting out there is somehow the agent uh, asked the father. The father said the child was fine, and then she was perfectly fine. Well, as an emergency physician who is taking care of children with sepsis, you don't go from being fine to to dying from sepsis and a seizure with a fever of 105 in a coma in eight hours and dying. That doesn't happen. Uh, It's most likely the child was ill. Mm -hmm. According to CBP statement is a a screening and observation was done because that's what's in their their manual. However, when you ask the agents, they're not uh, equipped to identify a sick child uh, and a screening could have simply have been. You know, is everybody okay? And the father, who spoke broken Spanish, mm-hmm. could, probably mm-hmm. didn't understand the question, wanted to and wanted to get into to the country. Said, you know, yes, and then maybe eyeballed the the group. There was four agents for 163 people, and and put inside. And that's not how you want to treat vulnerable populations, elderly or children who come across and who are sick. Right. 
Uh, and, you know, sadly, this is the only case we know about, but I'm sure there are other cases like that. Maybe it doesn't result in death, but with people who have emergencies. Well, I mean, even if it's not an emergency, right? You yeah. Know, people come yeah. in sick with cough, vomiting. Right. right. You know, they don't have the equipment to uh, hydrate or uh, intravenously, or they don't know how to do oral rehydration therapy. In this remote area, they have three uh, medically trained uh, uh, agents in in their entire squad. Two are EMTs. One's paramedic. That paramedic is the paramedic for the entire county. Mm. So mm. in in EM pre-hospital care, time is life. And if it t- it's going to take a paramedic two hours to get from one station to another, it, it, that emergency is dead. So this isn't just a safety issue for migrants that are coming over or seeking asylum. It's a safety issue for the agents that are out there vulnerable sure. as well for any kind of emergency. So people say, well, what could have been done? Uh, oftentimes, the commissioner who toured the location with us and, and some high-ranking CBP officials were saying, well, they would always add the caveat. Uh, you know, we, we're doing an investigation to see if uh, something could have been done, if anything could have been done differently. And I, you know, and I clearly told them, listen, when you, when you give that premise, you're cheating yourself and your agents right. from improving your system. Mm-hmm. And this is what could have been done. Okay. Um, one is that. Go uh, ahead. Yeah. That in any uh, that they could have had a screening questionnaire that we call in the medical field a review of systems that specifically asks, do you have a headache? Do you have vomiting? Do you have fever? Do you have cough? Are you? Do mm-hmm. you feel you know like any change in behavior for especially that'd children? Be, that'd be basic. You would right, think. Right. And then if there's. And then you you would have found some abnormalities if you had specifically asked that question. Then a a a uh, physical exam with vital signs. Just basically hear the lungs, hear hear mm-hmm. the heart. Look at the child. Look at the skin. Look at the eyes. Are there any uh, problems with dehydration? Is there any signs of trauma on the skin? And then do a quick vital signs. Uh, with a person who died of sepsis and a fever one or five, eight hours later, it is very likely that that child had some kind of fever, had a high pulse, uh, mm-hmm. a heart rate, uh, and didn't look well eight hours prior to that. It is very likely that that, hap- that that was the case. And they failed to do that. And it's very important, Bill, that we recognize that our laws state that the responsibility for the welfare of that child, once that child is in the custody of a federal agency, the CBP, that responsibility yes. to provide the medical provision and aid and do the uh, meaningful screening is on the responsibility of the agents. Do they accept any responsibility? Do they recognize that they blew it here or... Could have done better. You know, I, mean, I think that that, uh, did, did that they tell you that that well, you, know, you know. I think so. I so, you know, the the agents that are out there, you know, four agents, 160 people come to your doorstep. They're they have a culture of moving people quickly, right? And they're not trained to identify illnesses, right? Um, they're in mourning. They feel terrible about the loss of the seven-year-old. Their their fathers themselves, their mm-hmm. their husbands, their human beings, um, and uh, and I think that leadership now, uh, the way I felt after speaking with them is now they're trying to protect the institution. Okay. Yeah. Um. And and so things aren't being told forthright. Uh. And I I get a sense that that they they want to do 
uh, an investigation. They want to get medical professionals. They invited ICRC and other humanitarian specialists uh, who deal with these kind of humanitarian crises to come in. And I have a feeling that they're going to follow certain recommendations. In fact, right after my visit, after speaking with them, uh, I, there's reports that they're now including medical emergency bags at every station. Now there's, you know, because yeah. that was another problem. The other issue is if they would have done a vital signs and and exam, they would have been able to or should have called medical command, right? Mm -hmm. And medical command would have gone through the questions. And I I have a good, very good feeling that they would have called for aeromedical transportation. And 25 minutes, a helicopter would have been there to pick her up, take 25 take her minutes later, they could deal she would have been her. in the emergency department, and she would be alive right now. That's yeah. what a good process would have looked like. And I know not only because I, was, I did pre-hospital care, not only because I was a flight physician myself, but also practiced humanitarian disaster relief in Haiti and other places as a humanitarian disaster response uh, uh, specialist. So, so th that was one area where she could have been uh, mm -hmm. uh, saved. The other area was during those uh, that those hours where she waited to get on the bus, uh, according to the Flores settlement, she should have been on the first bus with the unaccompanied minors because the Flores settlement gives you the standards of how to take care of children, not just unaccompanied minor, all children. If mm -hmm. she would have been there, she would have arrived maybe three three hours earlier uh, or four hours earlier, and maybe that, had, that, that, could have that made probably a could have made a difference. Right. The second thing is another screening of exams for that child before she got on the bus. At that point, there's reports that the father was saying she had alerted them that she was vomiting, hmm. right? Okay, well, so, let's take a look at her. Let's do a yeah. vital signs. Let's see how she's doing. Let's call medical command. Is she safe to transport? Right. The second thing is they had no medical equipment on the transportation and nobody to, to care for that, to mm -hmm. care for any kind of health em emergency on that on that bus, not an EMT or anything else. Right. That's another problem. The other problem is that they don't have good communication there. They don't have good cell phone coverage during that entire trip that we took as members of Congress. We didn't have cell reception for most of it. Really? So yeah. when did they call? When did they she she have a seizure? I can tell you that when she arrived already at Lordsburg Center, she was in a coma. She was had a fever of 105, yeah. and they, the agents uh, had told me that she had some form of seizure-like activity, right? So, so uh, and then immediately after, they realized she was in sepsis, right? So then they called uh, the ambulance. Mm -hmm. They should have called air medical transport. That helicopter should have been there already. If they sure. were able to call the paramedic to be there and wait for her, they could. they could have called the paramedic and them could have talked and said, get the helicopter there. The helicopter should have been there and, and transported her. At that point, I don't know if it would have made a difference, but any time is life. And the sooner you get them to the hospital, the, the, the more chances they have to live because it took them an hour uh, uh, around an hour after she had arrived at Lordsburg to then to take her to to the emergency department. What is the situation overall now with those people arriving, uh, you know, these so-called caravans who came up, but people who are waiting to um, at, at ports of entry to seek asylum? So are um, they being processed and, and, and what do they do while they're waiting and what are the, what's the so, so, so they are being processed. Uh, there's reports that 
However, uh, given this culture of don't let anybody in, zero tolerance, which you know I, I refer to often as zero humanity, is they, they try to block, they try to delay, they try to intimidate, they try to sway people away. Okay, um, and uh, and that causes individuals with no family, no home. Uh, no resources to go and live in squalor in alleys or just join together to form some com community for their safety uh, and their survival. Uh, oftentimes what they do, especially uh, 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 mothers with children, is the situation gets so desperate that they start to move to other non-ports of entries into the remote areas and try to cross that way and present themselves just to get in. Right? right, because they, you know, their child's sick, they need help or whatnot. And they're the people. The Trump administration says because they entered illegally, they cannot seek asylum. Uh, that's right? not true. Yeah, but a judge didn't a judge. Of, of course, uh, because that's not the law. Yeah, the law right. says that asylum seekers have the right to present themselves at in anywhere in our border to mm -hmm. to seek yeah, asylum and have due Trump process. Tried to make that. Tried to put yeah, that law, you know, and then a judge overruled him. You know, yeah. the vast majority of the people that I saw were families with young children, mothers with 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 toddlers. They're not. They're, I mean, these are not, you know, criminals or terrorists or terrorists. Yeah. And and there are international norms that dictate the treatment of immigrants that are detained uh, that that we have agreed on where they should have access to medical care that reflects human dignity and and uh, and humanity. And what I saw is that we don't have that. And part of that is because CBP historically has been a um, a, a more of a law enforcement, which it is, mm -hmm. uh, to to uh, try to capture drugs, guns, and, and, and people who want to hurt other people, and they put them in these cells, they try to process them quick, and then, and then they move on, right? Well, they have known for years now that the trend is that we're seeing a lot of humanitarian uh, migrants and, and presenting themselves, creating a humanitarian crisis. And so now they have to shift their practices and be flexible to address the humanitarian issue. You know, uh, detainees that are not criminals, that are mothers, children, families, vulnerable populations with chronic illnesses like diabetes, HIV, mm -hmm. or perhaps people with cough that is reflective of tuberculosis or something else like that. And they have to move and be agile, get the equipment, get the personnel, be flexible, and start uh, treating uh, these individuals like human beings who are seeking asylum, putting them through the system quickly so that they can get their fair, uh, fair shot at court. Right. Uh, I want to ask you about a couple of other issues that are pending now in the in the uh, Congress. The Senate passed a stopgap bill last night to keep the government funding uh, running through February 8. It goes to the House today for a vote. It's going to pass, do you think? Oh, yeah, I think it's going to pass. There'll be no shutdown? No. Well, you know, that's going to depend on whether the president is going to veto the bill and how quickly there will right. be another bill yeah. to turn around. But in, in, in Congress... Uh, it's going to pass. And, and I, I have a, a strong feeling the president is going to just sign it. Right. Uh, which means looking forward, mm -hmm. um, uh, nobody's really talking about this, but doesn't that mean that the end of the wall? Meaning, well, it's going to be with more... Democrats in control of Congress, the chances of getting if he didn't get his money for the wall in the first two years, Congressman, <laughs> what are the chances you're going to get it now that Democrats control the House? It's going to be a lot harder for him to get a wall. <laughs> let me tell you that uh, when when the Democrats uh, um, uh, are the majority in the House uh, and uh, will determine the purse strings and appropriations and whatnot, 
so it's going to be d- definitely harder for him to get the wall. Right. Um, when you look back at a week ago in the Oval Office with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer going in and saying, here's our position, and then, and then Trump saying, oh, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to shut it down. I'm going to be proud to shut it down. It'll be the Trump shutdown and everything. Yeah. And look where we are today. Yeah. There's no doubt about who won that. Yeah, I mean, it's just a PR stunt and uh, to rile the base. Uh, and perhaps if, if there's no border wall, no shutdown, at least in people's minds and hearts, his base, minds and hearts, he, th- that's what's going to be left with them, not the fact that he didn't get his wall mm-hmm. uh, after you know it's all said and done going into the new year. So they're going to still think he's fighting for the wall and, and, and willing to do all this for the wall. So it was all a, a, a PR stunt to, to convince his base that he's still there. Um, it, it was a debacle, and when you look at uh, his threats uh, previously, uh, nobody's taking them serious anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because how many times has he said he's going to shut down the government? And it should not be the culture of the federal government or any congressional or or administrative leader to be proud of shutting down the government. It doesn't. It, there there are families out there who de- who work for the government, who depend, who do good jobs, uh, good people who depend on their check to make ends meet. And nobody wins when there's a, a government shutdown. Right. Um, so this week, uh, I want to ask you, as a physician, um, we have a judge in Texas who says the Affordable Care Act, the entire thing, top to bottom, unconstitutional, throw it out. Yeah. What's the impact of that? Well, the impact is a lot of people, uh, hundreds of millions of people with pre-existing conditions are very, very, very concerned right now. Uh, and anxiety is high. Uh, and a lot of people on their parents' health insurance between the age of 18 and 26 are concerned. Uh, women and the elderly are concerned that they're going to be charged more now. So, so you know, this is what's, what's most astonishing for me is that, you know, Republicans for so long have said, we need to repeal the ACA, we need to repeal the ACA, right? And they know that the individual mandate was the cornerstone that allowed the uh, the other provisions of, sure. of, of not discriminating against people with pre-existing condition. And, and, and they celebrate the fact that they're chipping at it, that they're trying to take it away. All of a sudden, a judge says, it's repealed. Right. And now they're saying, oh, my goodness, what's going on? We need to protect people with pre-existing conditions. We need to protect all these provisions that came in with the Affordable Care Act. It's like somebody praying uh, for rain. And then once it rains, they say, oh, shit, it's raining. Or like the uh, uh, the classic uh, dog who caught the car. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's just they're in a a massive messaging bind because they realize that the American people support the provisions within the Affordable Care Act, that tens of millions of people have received health insurance that they would not have otherwise, that hospitals and clinics throughout have seen uh, over uh, 50% decline in the amount of uninsured, That uh, and now that even in states with Republican governors, the people uh, through ballot initiatives are wanting the Medicaid expansion. Uh, it, it is working. And and we need to continue to to tweak it, to improve it. There are some parts of it that can be improved, and and so that we can get more coverage uh, and higher quality care. No, it is it is it is kind of amusing to see the Republicans now with the um, caught with the dilemma of oh God, what do we do now? Right. Yeah, I mean, and, and and by the way, 
they have no replacement plan. They never did have. Yeah. Right. Many of right. these Republicans that lost uh, their elections their- voted against the Affordable right. Care Act multiple times, which included all those wonderful provisions. And then in their campaign commercials, they were talking about how mm-hmm. heartfelt their uh, <laughs> their support for pre-existing condition was. Well, the people yeah. didn't buy it. Um, as a fellow California Democrat. Um, What's your feeling about the results of the midterm elections in California? Oh, man, we swept house. <laughs> Let me tell you, I, I wasn't, uh, I, I was very cautious going into there. I thought we'd probably win about three, three or four, mm-hmm. uh, but, we Same took here. All, but we took all seven. All seven in yeah, Orange County, yeah. and then the one up in Vin, uh, in Kern County. I yeah, that, that yeah. was uh, against uh, Valadeo, yeah, right, uh, right. TJ Cox. That was that was a, a, a big upset. Um, you right know, right next door to in. Kevin McCarthy. I mean, Kern County, you and I know Kern yeah, County. Yeah. That's red red country, yeah, man. So now, so now the focus is that we have to keep these seats. And being someone when I won, uh, won my first election 2012, uh, it was an R plus six district, a six percent more registered Republican. It had been Republican for over thirty years, uh, and so I know what it takes to win in tough seats uh, and be in the front lines mm-hmm. of of this, these battlegrounds. Uh, and so now uh, I'm going to advise and work with the seven new seven members to make sure that uh, we keep these seats. Right, that's the key. I mean, right, picking up these seats, right? But then, yeah. and then, then you have to then, keep them. And then delivering, yeah. right? Yeah, and keeping you have to show seat. results. You have right. to you have to make a difference. Yeah, um, you and I'm just thinking of Sherry Bustos and a similar district in Mil- Illinois, yeah. right? So been able to hold on to that district. Yeah, uh, yeah so that, that, that's uh, the important lessons if you and life lessons that you'll be able to impart to these new members, Congressman. It's so good to see you. Thanks it's, so much for coming a in. Great pleasure Thanks for to be your here. great work on the border there too. And uh, Merry Christmas to you and Merry your family. Christmas. We'll see you early in 2019. See you. Back is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hey, some good news at the end of the year. We won the war in Syria. News to the Pentagon, news to Defense Secretary James Mattis, but that's uh, the declaration of the Commander-in-Chief as of yesterday. What do you say, folks? It is Thursday, December 20. Here we are. The Bill Press Show coming to you live, as always, from our nation's capital and our studio on Capitol Hill with all the news of the day. Uh, a lot of, lot going on in the Congress as they are getting ready to run out of town without shutting down the government, it looks like. Uh, same thing at the White House with the president gearing up for uh, lots of golf at Mar-a-Lago. Meanwhile, other news around the country and around the globe. We'll bring it all to you and... Um, bring up to date uh, with the help of our guest and our own analysis and your comments as well. Love hearing from you on Twitter, uh, at BP Show. 
Uh, yes, indeed, big vote in the Congress in the Senate yesterday to keep the government alive until February 8. Again, uh, the declaration by President Trump that uh, we had won the war in Syria and we're bringing our troops home, a declaration which was not met with much uh, joy or support among Republican senators on the Hill. Uh, keeps people like Jordan Fabian, who covers the White House for the Hill, thehill.com, uh, busy and wondering and scratching your head. And I've, I'm sure that was a story you didn't expect to write yesterday, did you? Did you see no. it coming? <laughs> uh, well, you know, he'd been talking about it for a long time, but yeah, the way but that it happened I was surprised everybody. Surprised everybody. Yeah. So we'll find out more about that decision and the rest that's going on at the White House with Jordan Fabian and with all of you. Again, your comments. Welcome on Twitter at BP Show. But first, this gotta find is out from Peter what's press. really going on. Oh, yeah. Just a couple of other stories making news. Well, it's the end of the year, so the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety released its full list of the 57 vehicles that earned the highest safety rating this year. They broke it down into a bunch of different categories, but then they also said there are seven that they can point to that are the safest, safest cars. cars on oh. the market. All right. These are the seven safest cars on the road. I'm just mm-hmm. going to read the Hit seven. Me. Hit me. Number one, Subaru Impreza. Number two, Subaru Outback. Number mm. three, Toyota Camry. Number four, the BMW 5 Series. Number five, the Honda CRV. Number six, the Toyota Highlander. Number seven, the Honda Ridgeline. You drive a Subaru, don't you, Bill? I was just going to say, uh, Subaru comes through here. Yeah, yeah I feel, right. I feel, it doesn't mention the Forester, but I feel a lot safer hearing that list. Um, I didn't hear an American car on that list. Ah, yes, you're you're correct. There are no American cars on the safest cars on the market for 2018. Jordan, do you, do you, do you feel covered here? Or are you? Uh... I think I'm screwed, Bill. Got <laughs> 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 uh, to go out and do something about it. Here, yeah. Just think about that if you're if you're shopping for a car this holiday season. Notice the Prius was not on that list either. The right? Prius is not on that list. The Prius is not on that list. All right, so, you know, this year there have been a couple of stories about people that tried to fly with their animals, whether it's support oh. animals or pets or whatever. Well, here is one college they, student. They're, they're, they're making the list a little, you know. They're they short. are. Yeah. Well, here, here's a story I will say. Here, here's a, a story about a Colorado college student who was flying uh, to mm-hmm. the West Coast uh, to mm-hmm. go home, and he tried to fly, she, she tried to fly with her pink betta fish. She oh, tried to fly on. with a betta fish. And Southwest Airlines said, uh, no, you actually cannot bring your fish onto the airplane. You have to leave it here or you have to put it with somebody else. She said they didn't have time to catch the flight. So she just left they it there at the it? desk. Flushed it? They did not flush it, actually. Because there was a story earlier this year about someone who had to yeah, flush their yeah. pet hamster. Uh, <laughs> Southwest, they took it to Lost and Found. And someone claimed it and said, you know what? We're going to actually take care of this fish until she flies oh, back after the holidays. Why would you want to take your fish with you on vacation? Seriously, man. I'm with you. You don't get a lot of love from a fish. No, you don't. <laughs> anyway, the fish is fine. Uh, this student will get the fish back when she flies back to town. This is the Bill Press Show. There will be no shutdown. 
which means, looking forward, there will be no wall. What do you say, everybody? It is the uh, 20th of December here, Thursday, December 20. Uh, it's the Bill Press Show. We welcome you to the program, and thank you for joining us all across this great land of ours, coast to coast. We join you on the radio, on television, and online. Good to have you with us today. With the day, there's lots to talk about as uh, Congress is rushing to wrap things up before they get out of town. So is uh, President Trump. Uh, and uh, we're just waiting to see how fast that can all wrap up and happen. And it looks like the year may end on a little brighter note than we thought with maybe no shutdown. Um, we want to hear from you and your comments on the news of the day on Twitter at BP Show. And we welcome back to the program our good friend from uh, the White House briefing room, the White House Press Corps, uh, covers the White House for The Hill, thehill.com, Jordan Fabian. Good to see you, Jordan. Good to see you too, Bill. Um, so uh, I've got to ask you, uh, I saw you last at the White House Tuesday for the briefing. Um, right? I talked about this a little bit yesterday. So the briefing was scheduled for one thirty. Then we got word that the briefing was actually going to start at one forty-five. That's okay. Uh, then we waited until 2.03 before Sarah Huckabee Sanders actually entered the briefing room. Uh, the president had a, an, an event scheduled for 2.15. So the press secretary announced, well, we'll try to rush through this after she gave her like five minutes of opening uh, announcements. Then we'll try to rush through this and get a couple of questions. Uh, and eight to ten minutes later, she turned around and walked out of the briefing room. What's the point? Yeah, when there are briefings, that seems to be how they go. Well, she'll this was the by, by the thank you right the only the first briefing and the only one in the month of December. Correct, um, and and since August, it's really been a once a month. The White House daily briefing has become a White House monthly briefing, uh, and and when, so when they do happen, you know, she'll put them, she'll back them up right to an event, and then she'll say, oh well, you know, we have to leave because the president is about to speak. Uh, when in fact, uh, no, no, you didn't have to do that. You could have showed up on on time or or close to on time. Yeah, right. And in that eight to ten minutes, I mean, there was not a lot of news. I mean, she basically was just uh, uh, saying she did not back down from uh, accuse, accusing Michael Flynn, the FBI, of ambushing um, Michael Flynn, which Michael Flynn and his attorneys earlier that day in the courtroom had said didn't happen you know they knew it was illegal to lie to the FBI and he did it anyway on White House ground yes right yeah right. and right. she gave a very confusing answer about how the wall would be paid for if it's not going to be paid for by Congress that was and, yeah. yeah so it's that little yeah, exchange no. with Terry Moran which we played the whole thing here yeah. on the show was yeah. pretty embarrassing hard to follow it sort of indicated she didn't have a clue as to how the wall was going to be paid for but uh so now that we now we know that the Senate passed this bill last night, which will extend government funding through February 8, avoiding the need for a shutdown. Um, Congressman Ruiz just told us, and I think he's right, that the House will pass that today, no doubt about it. Will the president sign it? That's a big wild card here, Bill. Uh, the White House has been signaling to us uh, both publicly and privately the president is prepared to sign this bill, uh, What? but we haven't heard from him the, added, the words out of his mouth that he will sign it. So, uh, you know, we've we've been in the situation before. I, I believe it was earlier this year where he said he was going to sign a CR and then said he wasn't going to sign a CR. Um, so, <laughs> really, uh, I, until we hear the words from the president's mouth, I, I wouldn't take uh, what the White House is saying for granted. But 
not signing it means shutdown, right? Correct. It, it was a partial shutdown, I should say, but, right. but it's shut down nonetheless. Yeah. Yes. And if he does sign it, that's a complete reversal from where he was a week ago in that classic Oval Office meeting with Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, I mean, he looked right into Chuck Schumer's eyes and said, I'll be proud to shut down the government yeah. for border security, and I will own the political consequences. Uh, now we're at a point where he's getting basically not, none of the five, well, he's getting some of the $5 billion that he requested, but not the $5 billion, which he said he absolutely was demanding. So that is a total retreat. And uh, I saw that presidential advisor Kellyanne Conway yesterday morning said uh, the president may sign this, but that doesn't mean he's backing down. Yes, it does. Doesn't yeah, exa- exactly. I mean, I mean, how he can is, you he, say it's not? And, and he, it's funny. You'll you'll talk to you know, people at the White House uh, privately just to gauge w- what's going on here, and, and they admit that this is this is a consolation. They're backing down. I mean, they're he he had a goal of getting five billion dollars to the wall, and he's not getting it. Right. Plain and simple. And looking forward, as I was talking to the congressman last half hour about, I mean, in effect, that means the wall's dead, doesn't it? Uh, it it would seem so. It would seem so because uh, you know Democrats are taking control of the House. They they've made it clear the wall is the one thing they don't plan to go for. The only scenario where I could see uh, significant funds going to the wall is is a broader deal on immigration. But as we saw last year, it doesn't seem like that is something that's feasible uh, under divided government. Even even under one-party rule, it just doesn't seem like there's enough agreement there. No. They, it, it seems to me it's pretty clear. If he couldn't get the wall, the f- money for the wall, when Republicans controlled both houses of Congress, he sure as hell ain't going to get it when Democrats uh, control the House. Uh, before we get on to um, Syria and the more important thing, Peter and I both have a question that we need to ask you about. Um, we just want to be sure. So um, this is really your hair, right? I mean, <laughs> yes. this did not come out of a, this did not come out of a spray can. No, <laughs> no. I'm I'm, so, I'm all set on the hair front. <laughs> look, look. Did you ever see a head of hair like Stephen Miller showed up with? On that Sunday? was that was something else. I mean, I could. I the, the fact that the CBS producer kept having that behind shot, yeah, at, at yes. Margaret's face and and hit the back of his head. Uh, Wow. <laughs> look, I, look, I, what I, was he thinking, right? It was so Well, we're talking bad. about it, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm at a point where this is a somewhat of a concern for me. Like, I got, like, kind of thinning hair. Today I'm covering up with a hat because it's cold outside, right? And I, I talk to my, my stylist all the time, my, my uh, the woman who cuts my hair. It's like, uh, I just need you to cut my hair to make it look like I'm not going as bald as I actually am, right? But one thing I'm never going to do is spray some sort of oh, no, hair right. in a can <laughs> on my head. Like that that's also not your whole head, just right, the front. Yet, just the front. Just the front. <laughs> that's like right. if you're yeah. embarrassed about losing your hair, how are you not embarrassed by that look? You know? It's not any better than being bald. So I don't know. We've we've talked about it every day this week, so I just had to get it in anyway. <laughs> Well, um, Jordan, we won the war in Syria. Why didn't you tell me? Oh, boy. I mean, uh, that came out of the blue yesterday, didn't it? I mean, it seemed that the certainly Republicans in Congress were caught flat-footed, and it seemed that the generals in the Pentagon were caught flat-footed, and certainly the people at the State Department who announced last week that we were going to be in Syria until we had trained 40,000 local troops and we were only 20% there were caught flat-footed. <laughs> what happened? You're right. Anyhow, 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think, like like I said, he's been talking about pulling troops out of Syria for a long time. So right. the fact that it's happening, I, I, I think if you were in the administration, you had to think that was going to happen at some point. At some point. However, administration officials believed that they'd convinced the president to keep a true presence there for the medium to long term back in September uh, when he essentially was trying to do this and they backed away from it. Um, I I think the timing took everybody by surprise in the way he did it, just so abruptly, and telling people on Tuesday, "Hey, we're we're leaving. That's it, done." Um, usually, you know, we, when major troop decisions are made, you know, we've seen presidents Bush and Obama go to oh, a service God. academy or go to a military yeah. base yeah. and explain to the troops uh, why <clears throat> this is happening and explain to the public why this is happening. Uh, that didn't happen here. We had this sort of leak out in the media and then it took the White House about six hours to explain have get somebody to try to explain why this was happening but he couldn't really explain why this was happening because it didn't appear the president had fully explained his rationale to his own team and then you have him tweet out this video uh, yesterday evening that was uh, quite frankly bizarre I mean it was he, he was invoking the memory of, of fallen service members and pointing to the sky and uh, it, it was just a very uh, surreal kind of way to announce this kind of decision. Yeah, here's a here's the uh, the, the the lead clip from that uh, video um, last night. The president standing in the rose garden. Right. He hadn't assembled the press, right, or anything. No, no. He just no. Went this out is there like to his social media team. Did this little social media thing. Yeah. We've been fighting for a long time in Syria. I've been president for almost two years, and we've really stepped it up, and we have won against ISIS. We have won against ISIS. Uh, Lindsey Graham had a little different point of view. Uh, first of all, um, I, I think he, he comes up with the, um, with the worst thing he could say about Donald Trump. To say they're defeated is an overstatement and is fake news. <laughs> it is not true. When you accuse Donald Trump of fake news, that really hurts. Right? Yeah, and, and, I, and I think another cutting remark that Lindsey Graham made uh, to reporters on, in the Capitol was that this was an Obama-like decision, which yes, to yes. President Trump will be uh, a, a real a real blow. Right. Um, look, I the, on the question of ISIS, I, I, it seems like officials agree that their territory has been taken away to a large extent in Iraq and Syria, but the, but there are still cells that are sizable and pose a significant threat in Syria. So the argument is we need to keep a true presence there. This is the argument of the president's advisors and, and yeah, the military right, right. Uh, to fully eradicate that presence as much as possible in Syria. And and the president appeared to have disregarded that advice. Right. I mean, there are there's le- criticism, I think, legitimate <clears throat> of uh, President Obama for pulling troops out of Iraq and uh, uh, creating a vacuum which was filled by ISIS, and now a lot of people are saying, hey, Trump is doing the same thing, creating another vacuum where ISIS will be able to re-emerge. And, uh, I, I forget exactly when you began covering the White House. Was, was that 2015. In the Obama years yes. still? Okay. Well, then you were there as I was when we heard over and over again, our policy in Syria is we're there to dethrone Bashar al-Assad and we'll never leave. You know, it's totally unacceptable that 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 we ever get out of Syria as long as that man's in power. Well, it was a, that was a disaster for Obama. It looks like a disaster for Trump. You know, he's right. still there, and, and you know President and Trump was Russia's somebody there too. Exactly, and, and so the, if you look at it through that lens, you know the president 
has really tried to adopt this hardline stance toward Iran. In you know, he tore up the Iran nuclear deal. He's trying to reimpose sanctions on Iran. Uh, I think in an effort to increase the pressure on them to come back to the negotiating table on the nuclear deal. He's funding up, up until the Khashoggi murder. He was uh, assisting the Saudi war in Yemen, which is uh, being fought against Iran proxy soldiers there. And and then you have this decision, and it doesn't really fit into the strategy mm-hmm. that the president has tried to articulate because th- this is a, a win for Russia and Iran in Syria uh, by pulling out the true presence there, not to mention the diplomatic presence in the State Department, which is also going away. So right. if you're trying to discern some kind of Middle East policy uh, from this decision, it appears there there is none to speak of. Uh, I, I saw one article this morning that indicates that made the point this morning, too, that it it does pull the rug out from under Benjamin Netanyahu as well, who obviously yes. because of Iran's role and Syria's role and Russia's role in 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 Syria. And I, be, I believe I saw reports that BB talked to President Trump about this decision in the last week or two, um, and he can't be happy with it. That being said, I don't get the sense from that that is a strong relationship. Oh yeah, Tr- oh, Netanyahu yeah. and Trump. Yeah. I, I don't think this is going to be something that breaks the relationship. But uh, it's certainly not going to help it either. You're right. It's out of step with where, with with, every, with everything else. The president has also um, said that we ought to get out of Afghanistan. So is that the is, is that the other shoe that's going to drop? It it could possibly be. I mean, look, look again, I mean, the, the way we saw it, it's very, he's very. He can be very unpredictable in the way he announces these these things. So uh, <laughs> there's been speculation that. You know, he might try to go visit those soldiers at some point in Afghanistan. I was going to ask you about that, um, too. Right. You know, is he going to do that or is he going to pull them out? I mean, who knows? This, this, in fact, this holiday season, you and I talked about this the other day. There have been rumors for a while that it's been two years he has not been to a combat zone. If he goes anywhere, it would be, one would think, Afghanistan, not Syria, right? Right. Not Yemen. <laughs> right. <laughs> Where else are we? <laughs> right. Uh, not Iraq. Uh, Iraq's still pretty dangerous, but... And so, so is Afghanistan, but um, that that I we wouldn't be surprised if he ended up making a quick in and out visit to Afghanistan. Right. Uh, so there's no indication from the any, White House they're, they they're going to do any tra- no travel plans. At, no, but that, they never do announce ahead of time, do they? Correct. They they, they usually keep these things silent. Um, and but regardless, we haven't heard anything. But they usually don't tell. They keep this very closely held uh, for safety reasons. But. Uh, around this time of year, the holiday season, this is when we've seen past presidents go into war zones. Excuse me to speak to U.S. service members. Right. Yeah. Serve the holiday meal. Yeah. Exactly. But in and out. I mean, right. Yeah, it'll be quick because they don't want the president on the ground for a long time in these places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if it happens. And also, wouldn't be surprised if he said, "Okay, we're out of Syria now. Let's get out of Afghanistan." <laughs> right. Afghanistan as as well. Um. The president got some bad news on on several fronts this week, um, it, and I want to talk about the crime bill a little bit because that's one thing where he got some good props. Um, the Trump family charity, interesting kind of history of contributions that the charity was making. What's the White House reaction to this? I mean, the thing I caught was making some pretty wild uh, and outrageous contributions under the guise of charitable contributions. Yeah, I mean, the White House has tried to steer clear of this as much as possible. You know, Sarah was asked about it in that briefing, and she punted. Mm-hmm. 
the Trump organization, we did see the president get on Twitter and say, hey, this is a great charity, blah, blah, blah. But as, I didn't take any fees. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I tried to, yeah, I, I, they didn't pay rent. I mean, okay, yeah. you know, whatever. Uh, the, the, the evidence is pretty clear that there was uh, some self-dealing here uh, and that they weren't operating this as, as a charity is supposed to operate. Uh, not to mention that uh, there was a, f- a couple payments that uh, were politically questionable because they were made uh, possibly in the style of a political donation rather than a charitable contribution. Well, it went to the uh, candidate for attorney general in Florida was yeah. a $25,000 political contribution. I don't know. The $7 to the Boy Scouts was... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, boy. Well, you can't even pay Barrett's Barron's, uh, entrance fee out of your own pocket, right? Yeah, no, it's it, uh, right. And this is a good, gets to the, the the issue of self dealing, where he was buying, you know, not only that, but the, you know, Tim Tebow helmet and <laughs> Donald Trump paintings, you know, to hang at his golf clubs. It, pretty, pretty interesting use of charitable donations. Right. Um, on the um, on the the two two positive things, uh, bump stocks, which uh, the, you know you would. We all thought that Congress would do sort of automatically in a bipartisan way after Las Vegas did not. But uh, this is a significant that the president would go up against the NRA on this issue um, and did so. It is, yeah. And, and uh, we, we heard the, the NRA and, and uh, another group, Gun Owners of America, come out against it. Um, it and I, you know, I think one of the groups, Gun Owners of America, is, is going to tra- challenge that in court. Yeah. So that could be interesting to see how that comes down. Um, this one's not over yet, but uh, yeah, the president living up to his word at least on on that promise to to take that action after the Parkland shooting last year, right? Uh, and this uh, the the crime uh, criminal justice reform bill, so called the so called First Step Act. I think it's pretty clear. Uh, I mean, this started as we know under President Obama. Um, Dick Durbin and Chuck Grassley were pushing for it then. Uh, Mitch McConnell shot it down after it passed the House. Um, they brought it back this time around, a little weaker bill, but still a good bill. And uh, Mitch McConnell once again said, no, 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 you know, we don't have time for this. It's just we're too busy, we're too busy. Until Donald Trump got involved and Jared Kushner. Uh, what pushed them to get involved? You, what, what's the White House saying? This just something he believed in? Or yeah, I mean, I, I think, look, I, at least from Jared Kushner's perspective, I mean, his, his father was in prison. So I think he you know, he, he, he could point. see the yeah. inside of the system there and, and yeah. sort of see how some of it was broken. So I think he had a personal connection to that issue there. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Jared, uh, you know, to his credit on this issue, appeared to be influential with the president, too, to get him mm-hmm. fully mm-hmm. behind this. And the president right. did expend political capital trying to get this done. Uh, he called Mitch McConnell on on several occasions. Uh, you know, I was told yeah. by uh, aides there, and, and also called him out on Twitter saying, "We need to vote on this in the lame duck." And and finally, Mitch McConnell came around on it and um, came around so, and voted for it and voted for it. Yes, <laughs> right. And if you know, passed eighty seven to twelve, a overwhelmingly bipartisan margin. Right. And I think it's pretty clear that it would not have happened <clears throat> if Trump had not put some put the pressure on McConnell. Correct. And yes. if he and Jared had not talked to enough Republicans, I mean, all but 12 Republicans voted for it, uh, which was remarkable. And the smart thing they did, too, was get buy-in from some of these outside groups, including law enforcement organizations, who are influential with Republicans to get them to 
so the message isn't only coming from the White House. It's coming from these groups who have been in touch with these lawmakers for a long time, have sway with them, and can call up an office and say, hey, you, you know, we need you to get behind this. So it's a really multi-pronged front pushing for this, you know, in addition to the, the civil rights groups and others who are influential on the Democratic side. Okay. Now, what's the real skinny on chief of staff? <laughs> I mean— Donald Trump was saying, oh, so many people, it's just such a great job, and so many people wanted it. People are just clamoring, begging for this job, and then he ended up giving it to Mick Mulvaney, who already has two other jobs. Right. Well, I mean, he really gave away the stage directions after that thing happened when he, he basically admitted on Twitter that you know, he was tired of the coverage, the media coverage, saying that you know, he's, he can't find a chief of staff. So um, this happened on, on Friday. Um, Mick Mulvaney uh, came into the White House to for a meeting on the government shutdown as budget director, and uh, <laughs> and and he left with the chief of staff job, and th- that is that is what happened. This was not a meeting that was scheduled to discuss the chief of staff role. But I will I will say that Mick Mulvaney is one of the few people uh, I think made it very clear that he did want the job. His staff was telling reporters he did he did, did, did want the job. Did, he's been yes. he's been talking about it since the summer that he wanted the job. And his and his staff his staff ultimately that's the job he wanted right yes and his staff was saying he didn't want it um, which was you know, he so he wasn't publicly campaigning for it but behind the scenes he he was angling for it and he did get it so uh, there you have it and we do know that it was offered to Nick Ayers who turned it down right yes was offered to Chris Christie. I wouldn't go that far, oh, but okay. uh, discuss with Chris Christie, right? Uh, certain people in the White House really wanted Chris Christie. Was it offered to Mark Meadows? No, it was not. But again, certain people wanted Meadows, and Meadows, unlike others, was publicly campaigning for the job in a big way, which is why his name got uh-huh. uh, out yeah. there so much. Right? Uh, did they really consider Newt at all? No. Was that okay? Jared. Um, I think again, some people around some some supporters of Jared wanted Jared. Uh, it doesn't seem like Jared would be the type of person to want that role because it's such a he kind of prefers to kind of work behind the scenes, mm-hmm. uh, try to deflect attention from what he's doing. You can't do that in the chief of staff job. You just right. can't. So, well, so uh, what's your call? Mulvaney gets the job permanently. You know, at this point, it, that's a real possibility. Uh, the, as we saw, the search for a chief of staff. <laughs> proved to be very difficult for this president, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I'm not convinced that mm-hmm. it's going to go so much easier next year if he does start to try to find a permanent replacement. Well, it's so difficult because it's pretty clear that Donald Trump is his own chief of staff, right? Just like he's his own communications director. <laughs> yeah, and it, like it, and it, press secretary. And also, if, if you're if you're somebody who wants a, a future in Republican politics or in business. Look at the way that Reince Priebus and John Kelly were treated in that job and were pushed out. Uh, that's going to be, it's going to something. That's going to be. If that happens to you, that's going to be a blow that, that will inflict major reputational damage and will will kind of short circuit your career. I mean, Reince Priebus had to go back to his job at his old law firm. I mean, usually right. you see a White House chief of staff, yeah, they'd have the pick of any job in Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I think that's something that's scaring off a lot of people. Not to mention the fact that you, you it, like you said, Donald Trump is his own chief of staff. He's, he's shown that he doesn't want to be somebody who's managed, and that's the chief of staff's job is to manage the president and to manage the staff. And there's continued speculation that other heads will roll. Um, I hear Wilbur Ross, Betsy DeVos, 
Christian well, Nielsen. Christian Nielsen, right, of course, with uh, her, her close ties to uh, John Kelly. Um, any sign of that, or could, could we expect that over the holidays? It's kind of a time when things it, yeah, like this it's, happen. It's, it's hard to, I mean, maybe the next couple of days we'll see some more moves, so he clears the deck before he leaves for Mar-a-Lago on Friday, but um, hard to say. Again, the, all, the timing of all this is, is hard to say. You know, the president will kind of float it out there that, He's thinking about getting rid of somebody, and then nothing will happen, and then all of a sudden we'll see a tweet, and, and it will happen. I mean, that's what happened with John Kelly. I mean, the rumors, John Kelly oh, yeah. been many, rumored to go out since uh, the, since the spring. How many times have we yeah. talked about John all year? Kelly, right? Yeah. So right. It, you know, it, it it it's it is really hard to predict the timing on these things. Okay. Well, Jordan, it's always good to see you. I'll see you at the um, the uh, one briefing in January. I yeah, yeah. <laughs> see you in a few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and then usually they usually wait until late in the month, right? Because then I think they realize, oh, damn, we have to schedule a briefing because otherwise we'll, we'll miss the one for this month. Exactly. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Well, Merry Christmas to you. Happy New Year. You too, and, Bill. Uh, Thanks. It's a it's a fun ride, and it's it's great that you uh, are such a. Uh, important part of the program. We appreciate that. Thanks, Thanks Bill. so much. Uh, check out Jordan and all, all of our good friends over at The Hill. Thehill.com. Uh, uh, when we come back from Vox, Ellen Nielsen joins us, political reporter for Vox, and we'll wrap up here on this Thursday, December 20. This is The Bill Press Show. Well, um, Donald Trump finally found somebody who agrees with Ending the war in Syria and pulling our troops home. New York Times just reporting that Vladimir Putin has praised Donald Trump for his decision to bring American troops out of Syria. Of course, Putin likes it because that means the Russian troops are the only ones left there to back up Bashar al-Assad in Syria. So once again, uh, the BFFs, Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin, Together on another issues. What do you say? Hello, everybody. It is Thursday, December 20. And this is the Bill Press Show. Coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, our studio on Capitol Hill with all the news of the day. Look forward to hearing from you and your comments on Twitter at BP Show. And we welcome to the studio, well, first of all, brought to you uh, today by our good friends at the United Food and Commercial Workers Union good men and women of the UFCW under President Mark Perrone. They are a proud union family. They're working at all of our major grocery chains all across the country, uh, feeding, serving, and providing for America's hardworking families. Check out their website at ufcw.org. And now join me in welcoming to the studio Ellen Nielsen, political and policy reporter from uh, Fox, fox.com. Hi, Ellen. Hi. Nice. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Um, what's happening on the political front? You know, um, uh, one thing I want to ask, I know this is kind of off the wall, but mm. there's all this talk about, God, who are the Democrats going to find to run against Donald Trump in 2020, right? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of people out there who would like the job. Right. It's more like who are they not going to find to, yeah, right. <laughs> to run against Trump. Some 30 at the last count, my last count. I think our rate. our full count is somewhere around 35 or 36. Oh, no, really? It's yeah. long, yeah. Does Michael Avenatti still lead the... No. <laughs> I think he's done. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> but but it, is a, it is a long list. And there are a lot of good people on that list. Yes. 
Um, but I was just reading, actually, this week's New Yorker magazine and the lead piece in the New Yorker magazine in its talk of the town raises the question of, that's the wrong question. Oh, that's, oh, that's an okay question. Who are the Democrats going to run? Who are the Republicans going to run against Trump in the primary? Yeah, well, it was actually And why aren't we talking about that? And why, isn't right. some, or why, aren't, why aren't there a lot of Republicans saying this guy doesn't represent our party? You know, um, we're going to challenge him in the primary. Well, one of the people that I thought was going to do it, uh, Ohio Governor John Kasich, just recently said in an interview that he doesn't think that he can beat Trump in a primary and and sort of said, I'm not going to run if I don't think I can win. Um, and and he, he also was, said, you know, he always gets this God talk that, you know, God may be telling me, hey, John, enough's enough, you know, right. go back and cut your grass right like that. so that's what he's saying but in terms of what he's doing I mean he he has been visiting my home state of New Hampshire a fair amount um, and that is the place he actually came in second in the 2016 Republican primary behind Trump mm-hmm. in New Hampshire loves New Hampshire um, so you know he's around um, I'm sure that he's having conversations with people in New Hampshire and, and other primary you know first big primary states um, about plans but as as to whether or not he's actually going to do something he's kind of seeming doubtful at this point uh, but uh, and i've seen that jeff flake says somebody should challenge him right. but you know it ain't me bob corker kind of says the same thing ben sass says the same thing yeah we need somebody to to stand up pardon me for the republican party as it really is but nobody seems to be willing to do so um why doesn't Michael Bloomberg run as a Republican? He was a Republican, right? I mean, it's possible, but I just think I don't know if anybody really wants to. <laughs> Trump has you know, made his style of politics so clear. Everyone knows it's going to be nasty. I don't know if people really want to get into that fight and, and not, you know, you're not only getting into a fight with Trump, but you're getting into a fight with all of his base, basically. And, and that is just something that's going to be really grueling, really difficult on the Republican side, I mean, you know, the Democrats see them having a good shot against Trump in the general election. But on the Republican side, Trump has kind of made himself into this new mold of the Republican Party. It's going to be really tough for a Republican to go up against him. No, for sure, he would not accept a challenger as just uh, this is the way politics no, works. You know, that's this not is Trump's fine. style. Come on in. The water's fine. You know, yeah. let's have a good debate and we'll. May the best person win? No, 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 not at all. So right. I think that's why people are hesitant. Um, the government is not going to shut down. It's pretty clear right now. That's what it seems like, yeah. Um, big win for Democrats? Huge win for Democrats. Um, and, and the big win, I think, I think you know, progressive groups are very happy with, with Democratic leadership in the House and Senate right now because there is, they, they did not budge on the issue of border security. Uh, they went into negotiation with Trump. Trump said, I want this money for the wall. They said no. <laughs> they said, we want you know, another billion dollars for, for border security. They said no. Um, so progressive groups are incredibly happy that Democrats held the line and ultimately Trump caved. So uh, it's a huge win for them. Yeah. What's not to like about that? In fact, it's so stunning that Peter and I both have been saying nice things about Chuck Schumer (laughs) uh, for the first time ever. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the things that that is that is interesting to me, just, you know, it also shows if you stand up to Donald Trump. Well, that's the thing. I mean, that's the thing. And and cave. He's a 
Well, I don't want to use the word. Trump Trump hasn't really had a lot of people saying no to him in his right. life, you know? Right. So now that there and and certainly that's been true with the last two years with the Republican majority. So now there are Democratic leaders who are not afraid to say no to him. Nancy Pelosi is not afraid to say no to Donald Trump. Uh, in fact, you know, it's yeah. almost like especially seeing that that televised uh, negotiation between the three of them, it was almost kind of it's like watching sport a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we're going to see more of this in the next two years. And it's it's going to be very interesting to see if, you know, what kind of this this new reality that Trump has to deal with. I wouldn't be. I mean, I would I'll bet you. That there are Republicans today like Paul Ryan who are saying. God, they stood up to Trump and look what happened. If only maybe maybe we should have done that on yeah. a couple of issues, right? But Republicans wanted to pass a tax bill, so. Yeah, no, <laughs> right. And they didn't have the backbone to do it. They were afraid to do it. And um, and they felt they might could never have succeeded. And now it shows that you can, you know, stand up to him. Speaking about Paul Ryan, okay, Peter, we have to play it. I mean, he gave his big farewell speech right. yesterday. Um uh, the man, I think, has been the worst speaker, certainly since I've been covering national politics that I've seen, um, uh, got the least done and um, showed the least leadership, I believe. But he, So he scheduled a farewell speech at the Library of Congress in the great auditorium of the Library of Congress. Were you there? I was not there, no. Yeah, yesterday. So here he is. What a great country. What a country where someone of an unassuming Midwest upbringing gets the chance to be a part of all of this. What a country. Ah, yeah, what a country a buffoon like that get to the, the position of, of uh, a speaker of the House of Representatives. But he doesn't go out having accomplished a lot, does he? He mostly has, uh, you know, the tax bill is his big accomplishment. Of course, of course, he would say that's an accomplishment. Um, But he did not make good on on his signature promise, which was reducing the deficit. As a matter of fact, this tax bill adds substantially to the national deficit. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you're judging him on that merit, he he did fail. Um, And and also, interestingly, you know, uh, I think the Huffington Post, Matt Fuller, had a, a pretty blistering takedown of of Paul Ryan yesterday um, and, and was talking about how Ryan didn't mention Donald Trump once in his speech and kind of comparing it to Ryan's critiques of Obama when Obama was president oh, and, yeah. and, and just kind of how that compares to the Republican president that he had to contend with that he probably never thought he was going to have to contend with. Mm-hmm. You, you've written about, um, the, in terms of um, some 2020 names, certainly yes. Elizabeth Warren is on everybody's list, that she's focusing, from a policy point of view, focusing more and more on the House. Yes. Yeah, so she is um, she is introducing a number of her signature bills. So her own anti-corruption bill, which is this very sweeping ethics bill that would really crack down on on lobbying in D.C. and and uh, sort of the the much talked about revolving door between Congress and K Street Um and also the executive branch and the judicial branch. It's a very wide-ranging bill. So we have anti-corruption, uh, an affordable housing bill, um, and a, 
a bill called the Accountable Capitalism Act, which is basically um, give workers in at corporations more of a say um, because it would let workers choose, uh, I think, 40 percent of a corporate board. Mm-hmm. So they would just have mm-hmm. have much more of a say in terms of what the board does. Um she also recently introduced a uh, a prescription drug bill um, that would give the government more of a role in in generics. So she's doing all of this on the Senate side, but the reality is that Mitch McConnell is still going to control the Senate, so her bills have no chance of getting through. So what she's doing now that there is a Democratic majority in the House is she is partnering with House Democrats to introduce companion bills. So bills that are mirror images of her Senate bills in the House where they will actually have a chance to go through committee, maybe get a markup and and get voted on. Um, Again, they're going to have to run up again in the Senate. They're not going to be taken up. But this is part of a larger pattern, both of Warren and of Democrats in general, where they're really laying out ambitious legislation that they know is probably not going to get done in the next two years with the realities of the, the of split government that they have to de- deal with. But they're hoping that in 2020, the Senate will flip, we will get a Democratic president, and then they will have these bills ready to go um, to an, hopefully enact. Well, I would also think that short of that, if they get some of these passed in the House, uh, they can brag about them even if they don't make it through the Senate. Exactly. It's, I mean, it's a she statement. could brag about this and in her 2020 campaign. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's a it's a big statement about what she stands for and and her saying, look, I'm not just letting this sit here to die. I'm taking action. I'm doing action in the way that I can. Uh, so I want to ask you about some of the some other issues that we may see, but mm-hmm. but just another just a point on Elizabeth Warren. What I hear from more and more Democrats that I talk to about this massive field of 30-some right. candidates, potential candidates, is that she really did shoot herself in the foot with the Native American. The DNA test. The DNA test. That it was handled yeah. so badly that um, she's going to be one of the first ones to drop. Yeah, that's what I've been hearing too, and and it's still it's still very early. I'm I'm not going to say never say never because you know she she certainly could make a comeback. She's focusing she's she's leaning back into policy, which is sort of her bread and butter, rather than focusing on herself. Um, but I do think, yeah, I've talked to a lot of people, and and not just strategists, just like. My friends' parents, and yeah, you know, yeah, just just yeah. everyday people no, that, when are, her that name are looking comes at up, it. People think right away about this whole Native American. Yeah, yeah, thing. absolutely. I hear that too. I and I, I think that it was a strategic misstep. Early well, you know, on. I think also the fact that there's such a large uh, contingent of people who are going to run for president. Yeah, one little misstep could really send you just careening off track. Mm-hmm. You know, because. Yeah. You've right. got so many different so choices. So many other choices, right? right. you say, oh, well, well, let's go on to move on to so-and-so, yeah. right? Yeah. There's a lot of pressure, I guess, if you're running. You right. can't screw up at all. So back to these policies that um, – big ideas, if you will. Yes. Right? Yeah. That, that, that the House may be tackling. In fact – Everybody talks about, well, the House is going to be holding all these hearings. They're going to be holding all these investigations. They might even start impeachment hearings. You know, I I think there'll be certainly a lot of oversight hearings. Yes. But you're also going to see a a big legislative agenda. Huge legislative agenda, yeah. Starting with 
HR1. Yes. Right? This is the, tell us about that bill it's, a little bit. This, yeah, so it's this. And this, Nancy Pelosi said this is her first priority. Yes. Um, so this is a big, very sweeping, um, it, it's anti-corruption, it's also pro-democracy reform. So you have the the trying to crack down on lobbying piece of it, but then you also have- Voting rights stuff. And, voting rights stuff, um, yeah. campaign finance reform. There's a, a really interesting idea. I, I talk quite often to- um, Congressman John Sarbanes from Maryland, who mm-hmm. is the person who's spearheading this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and he is very into the idea of campaign finance reform modeled on um, things that cities have done. New York has a system sort of like this. I think Seattle has a system where if if and it's it's a voluntary system, you don't have to participate in it. But if you're a candidate who is running and um, you forego corporate PAC money and, you know, say I'm going to take more small donations, uh, the idea is that the federal government would match every small donation that you get six to one. So that, in theory, makes up for all of the money that you would lose by for foregoing corporate PAC money. So that is this this big, you know, bold idea that that they're talking about pretty seriously. House Democrats are talking about on the federal level, which could really shake things up. Um, and then there's also a, a provision in there that would create automatic voter registration. Um, there is a bill that was initially in HR1 but recently got taken out, but it's going to be another first priority um, to restore part of the Voting Rights Act um, that was invalidated by the 2013 Supreme Court ruling. Um, so there's a lot of stuff in there. And again, it's a big statement, especially after 2018, all the stuff we saw in Georgia, Texas, right, right. you know, things that, that people were infuriated about, long lines. Uh, being kicked off voter rolls, Democrats are really trying to respond to this immediately. So you have HR one. Um, you know they'll be doing something on prescription drugs. Yes, uh, infrastructure. On infrastructure, yeah. right? Um, Health care. Yes. Changes and improvements to uh, the Affordable Care Act. As right. long as the Affordable Care Act still exists. Right. Right. So Trump tweeted this morning in another series of rage tweets about border security and the wall that he will veto you know, anything that Democrats put forward in front of him unless it doesn't include good border security. And he mentioned specifically infrastructure. And this is one mm-hmm. of the areas yeah. where... Well, and of course, you know, we don't know if he's actually going to do that. But this is one of the areas this where this is the same president who last week said he would shut down the government if he didn't Absolutely. get five billion dollars. I mean, it's getting to the point. How many times has he promised to shut down the government? I'll never sign another one of these again. Right. Then he turns around and signs one. So right. it's 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 really getting to be Peter and the Wolf a little bit with right. Donald Trump. Right. But infrastructure is one of the areas where Democrats could potentially work together with the president. It's it's a stated goal that they both have. They want to fix infrastructure. But uh, the big caveat here is that Republicans also wanted to fix infrastructure when they had unified government. And that didn't happen under Trump. So, um, <laughs> Right. But I, I, I think that the chances are just as good that there will be some progress made, I know, the eternal optimist here, uh, sort of like we saw, uh, the, the chances are just so good they'll get some things done as that there will be open warfare for two years. I mm-hmm. guess that's what I'm saying. Let's take as an example this first step bill, the criminal justice right. reform bill that passed the Senate 87 to 12. I mean, a remarkable achievement, a legislative achievement like we used to see more of, right, haven't seen in a long time. Uh, I think it's the most significant bill passed by the 115th Congress. What else? The only other thing could – well, the only other bill that passed, really, of any consequence was the tax cut bill. Right. 
So either you think that giving the wealthiest of Americans another tax cut and the big corporations a tax, big tax cut is more important than criminal justice reform. Right. But the import, I, again, with the, with the criminal... This certainly affects more people. Sure. But with the criminal justice reform bill, I think the only reason that that was able to go through was because it had Trump's explicit blessing. And, and every other piece of legislation that they've tried to deal with, the reason that it won't get taken up for a vote in the Senate is because McConnell says, Trump's never going to sign this. Ryan says, you know, Trump's never going to sign this. We're not going to do it unless we know the president is going to sign it. So you're, so many issues are hamstrung because Republican leaders are saying, oh, Trump's not going to sign it. Yeah, so there's no this, point. In this case, Trump said he would sign it. Mitch McConnell still wouldn't de- de- right. uh, um, schedule a vote. He was finally forced to. But even even for a while, right, he resisted um, even Trump's support. Right. And didn't want to bring it up for a vote. Yeah. But, you know, he, he again, we've, we've, as we've talked earlier in the program, he not only, he, McConnell, not only caved in to scheduling a vote, he ended up voting for it. Right, yes, yeah. <laughs> for the bill. So, I mean, that to me, there's a lesson there, I think, for everybody that maybe they can get more done on some of these issues. Look, both of them need to come up with some accomplishments to crow about in 2020. Right, yeah, and the the list right now is, is short, so. <laughs> so we'll see. I mean, yeah, there might be, I think, on, on infrastructure, potentially they could come to a compromise. Um, Trump has said that he wants to work on prescription drugs. Of course, you know, he's also has connections with with big pharma. So he's been less, you know, he's been talking about that less than he was in 2016. Um, but but I think that there are are some areas that they could potentially work together on. Mm-hmm. Um, so do, do you realize that I know you realize um, we just got over the midterms um, within a year, we're going to be all in right. Iowa. Back at it. Yeah, I feel like it's already starting. <laughs> Isn't that depressing? It, kind of. It feels like you it's just, just never me ending. out, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a total bummer. <laughs> well, <clears throat> and then we'll be in New Hampshire, your home state. Yes, yeah, my home state. So um, Donald Trump is trying to get the New Hampshire Republican Party to change the rules so that they don't have to have a primary. So that the party can just um, declare Trump the Republican nominee, which is something that John Kasich is a little worried about. Oh, interesting. I saw the news about that in South Carolina, but I, I hadn't I, I neglected to read about it in my home state, apparently. Well, you better get on. The I job know. There. I know. Well, I'm going to go up there soon, so I'll be able to ask when, people when about it. When you're up there for the holidays, <laughs> I want you to get to the bottom of this. Uh, again, I just know from reading in the uh, in the New Yorker magazine that that that's. That's the Trump campaign's um, number one priority right now. I don't know if that is going to go uh, over well with that, why would New the Hampshire GOP not- in New Hampshire. There's a contingent right. of New Hampshire Republicans that are fans of Trump, but I do think by and large, he, I mean, among, at least among sort of the stalwart New Hampshire Republicans, he doesn't have a huge amount of allies there. Well, why would the New Hampshire think about this? Why would the New Hampshire Republicans want to do away with their primary? Right. I mean, the money that the state makes over having that early primary. Yes. Is insane. Yeah. Right. On the Democratic and the Republican side. I mean, I've been up there so many times. Right. 
can't find a hotel room, can't right. get a table in a restaurant because right. there's so many reporters from all over the world there. Right. Not to mention the candidates and their staffs and they're traveling around and all the buses and all that kind of stuff. I mean, to do away with the primary just because Donald Trump wants it, it seems to me would be a um, short-sighted uh, yeah. decision on the part of the state I don't think, GOP. I don't think they would do that, um, but we'll see. Right. Um, do you see the, um, the this this field of Democrats winnowing down to maybe uh, a manageable ten or twelve? Maybe at some point, but I do think that some of these lower tier candidates, like governors and mayors and and things like that, are seeing the fact that there is no clear front runner in the top tier. I mean, that's that's going to be a reason for them to to want to see if they can, you know, go to Iowa, New Hampshire and make their own case and see if they can rise above some of these bigger names. Um, yeah, I think that the field is so huge. I mean, there have been a number of, of polls coming out that have shown both, you know, Bernie and Joe Biden kind of at the top of the field still. Um, I don't know. We'll see. I I, I am going to be interested to see sort well, of what the energy is like on the I ground. think that's a question a lot of people are asking. Yeah. Is it because Joe Biden did, was has been around so long, such did such a great job as vice president, and everybody loves him. And then Bernie who you know was such a strong contender uh, in 2016 and with such crowds and has really reshaped the Democratic Party, whether anybody is going to be able to um, knock off either one of them and that, that basically it's going to be one or the other and everybody else might well forget about it. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm not saying that. So I, yeah. I hear that a lot. But yes, no, you... I know. I Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think that there is also a, a pull for, for people wanting new faces. And, and especially, you know, with, with Cory Booker and Kamala Harris, candidates of color that, you know, don't just reflect the electorate in Iowa and New Hampshire, but also the ones in, in South Carolina and, and places like Nevada. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't. I, th- I think that's right. I think we're going to have a really, really active, lively primary, and I think it's going to be great for the country, great for the party. Uh, and Ella, thank you so much for coming yes, in. thanks okay. for having me. Uh, enjoy your holidays. And that's it for me for this year. So Merry, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Have a great uh, holiday this season. We'll see you early in 2019. Show.